So welcome listeners once again to Yeah Aha uh-huh with Lisa and Phil and our frequent flyer co-host Aaron from California. Hi, Aaron. Hi. This week we're talking to Reagan and how do you pronounce your last name? It's Petruja. So the C is silent. Petruja. Okay. So is that Native American then? No, actually it's Polish, believe it or not. So yeah, um, there are a lot of, I guess when the, the, the names get transcribed into English. There are a lot of letters that get pronounced differently or not pronounced at all. <laughs> C happens to be one of them in my last name. It just doesn't get pronounced. So Okay. Well, I can say Wojohowicz. So, and um, I actually do a pretty good job at my work of pronouncing doctor names, and that can be fun. Oh, oh yeah. 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 I'm sure there's some good ones. I mean, we have Patel, we have Patil, we have Patal. Those are pretty easy. Two syllables. You'd be surprised how many people get that wrong. Yeah. And not Hussein Zada. I'm talking about Patil. We had one doctor, uh, Kotalenko, and uh, I called her secretary and I said, how do you pronounce her name? And she said, Yana. (laughs) (laughs) Just easier. She doesn't even try the last name. Yeah. I usually just tell people to call me Reagan because people struggle with even my first name. So Petruha. Yeah. We'll we'll stick with Reagan, of course. Well, Reagan has written a, a collection of her poems that mm-hmm. um she, that is called The Head of a Gorgon. Is that how it's pronounced, Gorgon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And uh and I had to explain to Philip that um while Medusa was a Gorgon, a Gorgon may not be Medusa. Maybe there's more than one Gorgon. It could be Amber, it could be Reagan. And actually, um, in some of the Greek roots of the myth, there are three sisters. So usually you'll see the three with the women thing going on, like the three furies. Uh, I think there are three fates. Um, but there were three Gorgon sisters. So there's Medusa, who is the one that most people know. And then there's uh, Steno and Uriele. Now, how does that fit with the uh, the myth or the story? Or the legend. Because well, um, my understanding was Medusa was uh, punished. Right. So in um, in several versions of the myth, uh, basically what happens is um, Medusa is sexually assaulted on the altar of Athena by Poseidon, the god of the sea. And um, she ends up getting punished as if, you know, being raped isn't punishment enough by Athena who transforms her into the the monster um, with snakes for hair, among other bodily changes that take place. Although the snakes for hair thing is the one that uh, most people are familiar with. Yeah, and she will never have another lover. Just in case Poseidon's like, woo, snakes. She also <laughs> makes it so that, you know, she, to get gives her the basil- basilisk stare. Right, right. So the the idea is that Medusa becomes so hideous um, visually that uh, she petrifies people, turns them to stone just upon looking at her horrificness. That accounts for the hissing and snake references throughout the poems, for sure. The the snakes of Medusa's hair, that kind of accounts for a lot of the imagery. There's a lot of snake and hissing throughout all the poems in, in the head of the Gorgon. Yeah. So in part, um, the, in part, the, exactly. Yeah. The, the, the idea that I had was to kind of reinvent it and kind of bring it into a contemporary, uh, t- like framework. So, um, and also to, to kind of build in as you, you know, are pointing out throughout, uh, Medusa's life, there, there is this sense of like, the snakes already kind of embedding within her based on the experiences that she has. So unlike the many versions of the original myth where Medusa's adult age, when she's first sexually assaulted in my version, um, that actually happens a lot earlier in her life and with multiple people. So that's part of why the, the hissing and the snake imagery starts so early in my collection. And carries throughout. Now, but before we really get into your book, mm-hmm. um, have you ever read uh, Deuteronomy in the Bible? I have not. Uh, the punishment for raping a woman is to marry her. 
the punishment for a woman who was raped who cannot prove or cannot be proven to have been pure is to be stoned to death. So a woman can be can be not exactly killed for being raped, and a man's punishment is to marry the woman he raped. That's a yeah. So that comes from that like back then. That I that ideology, that thought that it's okay for Poseidon to do it, punish the person he attacked. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of, um, I mean, just among it's various not- types of patriarchal society and various myth, including religion, um, there's a lot of, you know, punishment for women as if, you know, being sexually assaulted is not punishment enough. I mean, I can't even imagine having to be married to somebody who would have assaulted me um that seems like a lifetime of just horror but uh yeah i mean i'm not i'm not surprised that that kind of material is in the bible just as i'm not surprised that it exists in other religious uh belief systems and other myth belief systems other stories other folklore other fairy tales i mean that's just you know misogyny and sexism is kind of uh rampant throughout the ages unfortunately kind of handed down through history especially the greek gods they were very rapey yeah we just had uh, jeremy bryant on who's a sort of a guru for cryptids and supernatural things but he did discuss some zeus detail uh, yeah zeus's proclivities never met a chick he didn't like oh yeah (laughs) well chick he didn't rape yeah actually one of my colleagues um Lanny Stabile wrote a book about sexual assault survivorship as well, poetry collection. Um, and that fo- it focused on Zeus specifically. Um, so yeah, it's like, she's got the book on Zeus. I've got the book on Medusa. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting to, yeah, it's interesting to kind of see a lot of these overlaps, especially in contemporary times where women are kind of going back and exploring some of these old sort of um, stories and thinking about how the indoctrina- indoctrination um, back then is still so in some ways similar. And how can we kind of uh, subvert that and turn it on its head and give voice to the survivors instead of the predators? Okay. Now here's an idea. If you and um and your friend lady Annie. Yeah. And if you find some other people who have put together books of a similar nature with a different um protagonist, so to you know, with a different um uh, uh what's the opposite of protagonist? Antagonist. Antagonist. Okay, antagonist. Mm-hmm. Um you could call it uh mythology and misogyny. Yeah. We could actually put together <laughs> like a, a bigger tome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> create a um, subsect of this whole. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. There you go. Okay, so now, um, <laughs> I mean, your poems are very raw, and they're very open. And um, as a person who, as a woman, I got right away the the basic subject matter, and I really. I really found it moving the way you moved the story through from the the start of the attacks all the way through to um re- repetition with uh, adult relationships and all the way into some healing. Right. So do you feel you've reached a, a stable point with your healing? Because I know there's always going to be but maybe the bumps in your stability are less. Was this therapeutic writing this book? So I, I want to be very clear because the, the book is not autobiographical. Right. In, oh, in okay. that, um, yeah. It's Medusa I mean, that so, had those things happen. I'm sorry. What was that? It's Medusa that had those things happen, right? Yeah. So, so there, there are elements that are true, um, or like factual, I would say from my life or from other people's lives, but I'm always very careful to, to, um, to point out that the speaker of the poems, uh, by and large, the, the majority of the, the poems are spoken by Medusa, who is a persona. So that's not the same as Reagan. Oh, okay. okay. Um, yeah. Thank God, by the way, because that was. <laughs> 
I was reading this and I was like, I was, I was struggling there, with it. There is someone so, who has lived that. Well, that's true. But it's like, I'm, I'm like, whether it be, I, I leaned on Lisa to help yeah. me understand a lot of what, what, what was being written. And I was, I was like, like, Oh, that poor girl. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, like I said, some, some aspects and some elements are true, but, um, but this is, this is, I, I want to just be very clear that this is a, a story that I, that I fashion, not just from like autobiographical stuff. Um, it really truly is shaped, um, in a very fictitious way. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm glad that it resonates as truth because that is the point. The point is to highlight the experiences of survivors. And I do identify as such, but the, this is like, I just want to be very clear that um, the story is very much intended to be a, a reimagining of the Medusa myth with a focus on survivorship because it is an important subject to me, but um, yeah, there I, I'm pulling from, I'm pulling from the myth, the many versions of the myth. I'm pulling from my own experience. I'm pulling from the experiences of other people and I'm weaving it into a singular narrative. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't call the, the book writing itself therapeutic um, mm. because I think that at least for me, I, I, I don't think I could write about certain things like particularly the last section that sort of covers the, the sort of, I guess, reinvention of the self mm. um, without having an understanding very personally and very directly of what that looks like. So had I not lived that sort of portion of the experience, I don't think that I could have necessarily written about it, but it wasn't the writing about it that was therapeutic. It was the living of the, the healing mm. that was therapeutic, if that makes sense. Mm. So then the the goal for me, um, and I started writing this back in grad school. So that was back in 2007. And mm. it changed considerably from what it was as a thesis, um, which was a, more of a focus on a lot of the different retellings and what that sort of implies. Um and then shifted very heavily in the direction of um, sort of reframing the story of sexual violence that she experiences and building it out within this contemporary framework. Um, so I started writing it before I, I, I personally, I guess, had the understanding of what needed to sort of happen at the end, which is, you know, there are no sort of like, um, it, it doesn't, end easily it's not like it all gets tied up in a pretty little bow and you know there's this big happy ending um but that being said I also didn't want readers to leave with this idea that um healing whatever that looks like for various people because it is different for everybody I think um what that looks like what that could look like and what that might entail um, and, and also it makes it clear that it's a continuing process. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I yeah, think that, that that's helps. right. So that's true as far as the, you know, the, it is, I think a continuing process, just like, like learning is um, just living your life and growing as a, as an individual, as a human being. Um, but I, I also think that the, at least for me, one really big important aspect was recognizing that there needed to be sort of a, not a separation of the, the body and the mind, but sort of a, an acknowledgement that one can reclaim things if one reclaims one's mind and one's perspective. Yeah. Um, and that's what I'd really try to do with, by the end of the book. So that hopefully it will be helpful to uh, survivors that read it. Yeah. Now, I, I get that um, the betrayal of the mother is more heartfelt because she's supposed to be a protector. But um, who does the and, and Poseidon is the the antagonist, the the uh, molester. But who is the uh, who does your who does the father represent? 
Well, so in in the original myth, um, you know, Medusa and her sisters, they, they have parents. I mean, they have mothers and fathers, just like most, you know, uh, myth mm-hmm. figures do. Um, right. So, I mean, the, the I... I mean, I did re- very much imagine these two as like a mom and a dad um, mm-hmm. for Medusa. In again, in this contemporary framework, I mean, most most pe- I mean, I I actually technically grew up with two moms and two dads because my parents divorced when I was young, so I had a stepfather and I had a stepmother at one point, as in addition to my mom and dad. So, um, you know, when I think about the mother of the book, it's that that figure ultimately represents yes the 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 woman who is supposed to protect her child um because that's what we think of as that role but also it's a reflection of what we see happen a lot in today's kind of framework with where some women are enablers of the predators right they they either directly or indirectly support the abuse and the, the assault that survivors experience so that's sort of what she represents within this framework um the father is not a predator but also not helpful in any real meaningful way um so it i guess in some respects overall he sort of represents the the silent male i guess the silent dude who just kind of doesn't acknowledge or maybe even recognize what what's going on mm-hmm. um, and thereby again indirectly or sometimes even directly contributes to the continuing abuse and assault of the survivor i know um i know of a situation where a 15 year old girl was um she went to the authorities about her father's abuse and it was full on all the way, 100%. And um, after he was taken away by the police, confessed to everything, the mother kicked her out of the house and told her that she could return when her father was out of jail and could find it in her his heart to forgive her. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of sick people out there. I mean, I you know, mm-hmm. I, I can't, I'm glad that I can't understand that perspective. Um part of the reason that I stayed within the persona of Medusa for those poems mm-hmm. um, is because I, I do very much have a difficult time understanding the perspective of parents who don't, um, you know, uh, their child. yeah, they don't protect or support their children. Um, Enablers and, uh, you know, and abusers. <laughs> right. Working right. Together, you know, to yeah, necessarily believe in, participation trophies and you can do anything but on the other hand you don't have to put the child down or ignore problems yeah Yeah, well i mean i think there's a there's got to be something in between well i i think it's i mean the problem is i mean if you've got a a a woman who's married to a man who's a predator and she acknowledges that he's a predator and yet still feels like that behavior is okay. Like you're talking about very sick individuals who, I mean, their, their problems are much, much deeper and broader than, you know, uh, you know, we, we want our kid to get a trophy for just being there and showing up. I mean, you're talking about some deep seated psychological issues that are happening there. Um, And I, I think that, uh, you know, unfortunately, at least, what I've observed in, in my life is, you know, the water rises or falls to the same level. So if you've got somebody who's a predator in a lot of cases, I mean, I'm not saying every case, um, because there are some parents who really did not realize who they were with. And right. when they find out from their child or, you know, a, a, another survivor, maybe outside the family, they do do the right thing and they protect that person and they, you know, split from the the predator or whatever. But I mean, there are a lot of people who, who don't because they are, maybe they are not the perpetrator themselves, but they are sick in, in such a way that they, they kind of, you know, enable and, and sort of deny reality in their mind and, 
permit in their mind, like as if this for some reason is acceptable behavior, which of course normal sane people know that it is not at all. Um, But there are just a lot of sick people out there. And oftentimes I, I think they probably have experienced some things themselves. Maybe they grew up in abusive situations. And so their baseline for normal is not normal. Essentially, well, now, I I don't know about the mother in this situation, but um, and I, and I will say this as well. In that situation, there was a slightly older sister and a much younger sister. And uh, when the when the man got out of jail, um, he stayed with the woman for like one to two years, and then he divorced her and married a much younger woman with two young daughters. I mean, but we all, we- he grew up. The way he grew up, his mother died when he was a small child. His older sister was 13 and took over all of his mother's duties. She was taken out of school and became the housewife. I mean, there's all kinds of complicated factors. So There might be the yeah. fear of the abuser by right. the enabler. Mm-hmm. The, I, there's also the idea of, I don't know, uh, yes, this is, this like is terrible, but it raised. could be so much, it could be so much worse. They kind of rationalize the whole situation. They, they, you know, it's, it, it's difficult to understand how somebody could allow something like that to occur, but mm-hmm. there are, you know, there, there, people are so complicated. And, and, and here's the thing. If Philip were to cheat on me, um, which I, I, trust him completely. But if he were to cheat on me, I would be mad at him because the woman he's sleeping around with didn't stand up in front of God and the family to make a promise to me, but he did. So, you know, that's a situation where, you know, both parents have made a promise to take care of this person. And if a predator is abusing that child, whether it's abuse from the mother, and mothers abuse, women abuse too. Let's just make sure we say that. But, um, I mean, this is about misogyny. Athena was supposed to be the mother of love, the goddess of love and caring. And what does she do? She punishes the victim. I mean, it's, what it, kind of love? It's is such that? a, it's, it was such a heavy. And then yeah. when Lisa's, like I said, I struggled with the book. Okay. When I read mm-hmm. it, I struggled with it. I was trying to piece it all together. I, you know, things uh, stood out to me about the imagery that I wanted to ask you about, like, you know, how much of the of the environments you've lived in went into like the ocean life, the imagery of that and the desert and stuff. And have you traveled? A lot? But, you know, you're, you're making that, it clear, you know, it's not autobiographical. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, of course. Beside, you know, it's very much a literary centered um, uh, collection of poems that are intertwined. Mm-hmm. It's not they're not in a silo. Mm-hmm. They all they all work with you know in chapters and, and are they're all they're all of a piece. Yeah. The ocean imagery very much is rooted in Poseidon. So Poseidon is the god of the sea. So that that imagery specifically is very intentional. Right. Um, I I have lived by the ocean. I have lived in the desert. I, you know, I do I do again. I draw from these these life experiences and and. Um, you know, I, I, I enter those into my work as, as they, they sort of elevate a particular story, um, or take it kind of in a direction that sort of links and ties that overall narrative. Right. But the talking to you now, you know, and, and clarifying what you're saying about, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, I'm not into mythology and I'm not, you know, I I took world Mm -hmm. literature, you know, that was about the end of it. Mm -hmm. So it was one of those things he had to do. It brings it, it brings it brings more clarity to my mind about you know in retrospect now what the book was about and it, it is very well done and that it but it was it was you know it was hard it was hard to process the you know the uh, some of the damage that was being done to yeah. the protagonist in these yeah. poems yeah I mean heartbreaking and, and, yeah right and and the, that, I mean unfortunately that's the goal that's also why yeah. I put a trigger warning at the beginning of the material like the yeah. actual physical hard copy um because it's not intended for people who are in a mental space that is not stable um and ready to necessarily cope with that material um but for people who are 
I think it's really important to be willing to enter that emotional space and that mental space and understand the deep damage that is being done on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, sometimes a minute by minute basis, depending on the statistics to not just women, not just children, um, but to humans, um, you know, who are experiencing sexual violence at the hands of family members, non-family members, strangers, but most often people that they know. Um, I think it's important to be willing to kind of um, engage with that fact, that reality, that material, and hopefully, um, you know, maybe if nothing more, just have a greater awareness of, you know, this is, this is an experience that, you know, many people have, and these are the effects. I think, you know, that my, one of my main goals with this book is to raise awareness about the subject. So um, hopefully I've accomplished that. One, one recurring aspect is the, uh, your captain speaking. Uh, yes. Where did the, where did the airplane imagery come from? Or where, where does that fit in with Poseidon? I kind of and... thought that was more of a boat, but. It's a boat. Oh, yeah. So, so it, the, the idea is, is that there's, so there, there's sort of, um, it sort of emerged as I was, as I was writing the, the book beyond grad school. There, there was sort of this like narrator that, wasn't Medusa, wasn't Poseidon, wasn't the snake, wasn't the mom, wasn't the dad. It was none of those things. But it was this very distinct voice that made itself sort of known to me as I was writing these pieces. And it felt very important that it be there. And the goal with that is to, I, I guess, have readers upon kind of re-encountering the captain three times throughout the, the manuscript to kind of question not only who is this narrator, but also the nature of the reliability of the narrator. Yeah. Um, is this person telling us the truth about the world or are they not? Or can it be true and not true at the same time? I don't want to answer those questions because I right. think that it is a very individual thing for people. And I think it is up to each reader to decide if they believe that the captain is speaking the truth or not. Um, I know what I believe <laughs> um, because and it's, I mean, in, in a weird way, it's kind of like if I was aligned with anybody as a voice, it would be Medusa. It would be those, those poems that are most from her perspective. But the ones that, you know, again, sort of like insisted that they be there, but were telling me what they were doing and, and, and not the other way sort of around, like I felt less of a kinship to the captain, but the captain demanded to be part of the book. If that makes yeah. sense. I know that might sound really like, strange. Kind of like the no, captain. I, I get it. Part of her inner dialogue. Yeah, I mean, that's one way of looking at it. Why don't we go ahead and stick our commercial break in here? Uh-huh. Well, uh, there's one thing I jotted down when I was uh, reading Defeated Wings. Mm. My mm. mind can't find a peak to soar to. The weight of memory tethers me. I thought, you know, that's, mm. that's kind of, the, you know, that, that's kind of a re recurring tone that, you know, that kind of uh, emerged from the poems to me, those types of, sentences really had impact to me on you know on what this was doing to the to the protagonists of you know um and i've been using that word a lot lately <laughs> yeah well, we've had some writers on yeah yeah and, um and movies so do you think it seemed like that the she was looking for uh salvation like in un, in unblinking eyes is it and is it possible for another person to help or save a damaged person that that's had these experiences? So, I mean, if you're asking me as a, as like a human being, not like just completely separate from being an author, uh, you know, I mean, although I, I guess my perspective would probably be the same. Um, I, I don't think, I think a lot of people think that somebody else is supposed to save them. I mean, I think that's true separate from surviving sexual violence. I think 
a lot of people get into relationships thinking that this person's going to fix them or save them somehow. I, I mean, I know because I used to be that person. <laughs> so, um, and I see other people in my life have done that, continue to do that. We'll grow up and do that someday. Um, it's sort of like this, again, getting back to this sort of fairy tale folklore crap that we're fed as kids, especially as girls, that there's going to be this Prince Charming or somebody's, okay, we don't need that. We don't need a dude to quote unquote save us from anything because usually it's the dude that's causing the problems in the first place, but that's a whole other story. The point is, is that I think there is this sort of misconception. And I think that is very much part of our, our, our current like contemporary mythology in the movies that we watch and the stories that we read even today where the, like women are socialized to believe that they need somebody to save them. No, they don't. But that's the story, right? So that was very much deliberately built into this this contemporary narrative because there is this drive from my perspective as the author to de- debunk that lie basically mm-hmm. and and illustrate that no in fact the only person who can save you is yourself now does that mean in the real world that you can't you know seek therapy or you know whatever and have you know a professional assist you with that yeah i mean you can do that but at the end of the day, you're still the person who has to save yourself. You're still the person who has to be responsible for your own healing. Certainly that's easier for some than others. Um, you know, some, some people kind of fall into, uh, you know, deeper holes because of the things that have happened. A lot of survivors end up, um, you know, with, with some unfortunate addictions, maybe drugs, maybe alcohol, maybe something else. Um, you know, so that you're, you've got kind of like layers of things to work through, but in the end, still, even if you have professional assistance or you go into a recovery program or something like that, um, you're, it's still you, you still have to kind of figure out a way towards your own salvation. And I think that's true even for people who believe in a higher power, which I do, but, um, but even still, I need to do the work, um, so that I can have the divine assistance as well. It, it works Medusa, hand in hand. It's not, Medusa it's needs not, to work on being able to forgive. I'm sorry, what was that? And Medusa needs to work on being able to forgive if she's going to move past it. Oh, no, I don't believe in that, actually. Not, I don't not, believe not in ab- that. <laughs> not absolve, but like, like to, more like in the sense to forego, not in um, the sense of absolution, just to put it, try to you know, not dwell on it. Yeah, it. it's more... I actually believe more in what we would call radical acceptance. So mm-hmm. basically we accept the reality of what happened. Um, but we don't necessarily put, you know, like a, a sort of, I guess, judgment on it. Um, as far as like, okay, I'm going to like forgive this person or, you know, or not or whatever. It's, it's more just like a, as much of a detached kind of perspective as one can can manage. But I, yeah. I very much do not believe in forgiving people who have done great harm and who have no remorse. And I honestly well, don't not forgiving that not forgiving them for the that other person, but forgiving it for you to get past it. Don't even tell them you forgive them. Oh yeah, no. I don't I don't believe that's necessary yeah. either though. Yeah. I I mean that's it's, just my it's still it's still the detachment essentially. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, and again, these are just my personal beliefs. It's, it's not so much that like, if, if forgiving somebody, whether you tell them or not is helpful for you as a survivor or, or just in any life situation, then by all means do that. But I, for me personally, I don't believe whether I, I do or don't or I tell a person or I don't, I don't believe for me that forgiving certain things that have happened and certain people who have been in my life and who have caused great harm, that's not the answer for me. And that's not a key to my healing. I have found ways to heal that do not require me to, um, you know, sort of absolve or even look past 
That is, that is kind of a school of thought. Aaron, I think, Aaron, you're expressing that in order for it not to erode you internally, in order for it not to, to you know, completely become an obsession for you and, and destroy you, you have to learn. Yeah, you have to, you have to get past it somehow. But I, mean, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of people that invest in that, you know, emotionally in that type of, you know, the, but not everybody does. Yeah. And Apologies yeah. to Uncle Walt, but I hate that song. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. Yeah, it's I mean, the idea behind the song. It can't get too. back to work that I hate that song. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I just think that there's there are lots of different um there are lots of different paths to one's own salvation. But ultimately, I do think whatever path you choose, whether it's forgiveness or radical acceptance or something else, it is still in your hands, and it has to be in your hands. Like you have to be willing to take responsibility um, for for wanting to heal and trying to heal uh, because certainly the, the bad people are not going <laughs> to, not going to do it for you. And they're in fact going to work against you at every step of the way to try to prevent you from healing because the, the weaker that you are and the more damaged that you are, the more that people are able to prey on you. Right. So that's, right. you know, they'll take that. weakness. And, and or... You can see the savior ideal. From two points. One, as far as women go, the princess myth. And then two, you can't, you can lead a horse to water, but it's true. You can't make it drink. Yeah. 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 I mean, I found that to be so, true. You can have people that want to help you, but they cannot save you. You have to drink. Yeah. And you have to be open to the help. But right. even then, it, 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 that only goes so far. You have to still be the one that, that takes charge of your own life, essentially. You have to do the work too. Right. 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 So, um, mm-hmm. do your, uh, your, your, your family and par- parents, have they read the works? Do you get a lot of feedback from people whose opinion you really treasure about <laughs> the work? Um, so my family, like many writers, to be honest, at least the ones that I know, um, my family does read my work. My parents don't necessarily understand it per se. Um, it, what's been interesting actually, uh, and she'll, I guess she'll hear this when, <laughs> when the recording comes out, but, um, my mom doesn't know that my sister's been telling me that my mom asks my sister questions about my book. <laughs> and then my sister will be like, Oh yeah, mom's asking questions about your book again. And she usually doesn't tell me what the questions are, you know, but it's just funny. I think, you know, cause my, my mom and sister actually live together um, at, at this point. And uh, so, so I think part of it is my sister's there and like readily available. I, you know, like if things occur to my mom to ask, but um, you know, yeah, my my parents she doesn't have to embarrass herself by asking you. What... <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's like an embarrassment thing or like embarrassed that she doesn't understand what it's about or something. I don't know. Well, thank you. Know, you. I, mean, I think she. I think she gets the fundamental premise. I mean, it'd be pretty hard. I mean, to not I mean, understand. for what whatever her question is. I mean, yeah. Not, I don't mean the yeah. overall premise. Okay. I mean, her specific yeah. whatever her question's about. Sure. Yeah, she she might feel funny about asking you. Mm-hmm. Or, or letting you know that she doesn't get that. I don't know. Yeah. Doesn't it almost have to be on the tip of her tongue? No, uh, wait a minute. Is this me? <laughs> Is this me that you're yeah. writing about here? I mean, that's what's gone unsaid, right? Remember Barney Miller when, uh, when, uh, when, uh, <laughs> she's what's too young name? to remember Barney Miller. Blood on the badge. <laughs> yeah. When Harris yeah. wrote Blood on the Badge and everybody in the, in the detective unit would keep beating around the bush like, uh, hey, you know, this looks a lot like the arrest we did last week or something, you know. Yeah. How much of me is getting into yeah. the... That's right. Uh, is that me? How much is me? Well, I mean, so again, the, this book by and large is fiction. Delicious, but I mean, my my mom does sort of know like certain things about what is true from the book and she also knows that I'm the kind of person who is very generally direct and blunt especially with members of my family so that um if she did have questions that she did want serious answers to uh she'll get them and maybe that's what it is maybe it's fear of of knowing that 
right. that truth. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to speak for her. I'm not her. But, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. My family, uh, my, I mean, my family is very interesting, but I guess everybody probably feels that way about their family, right? I mean, we all grow up in these weird kind of, we would never, I mean, I don't know. My family's, I, I call them families because I have so many involving the, the step, this side of the step family and this other step, family, you know, it's like, it's all just a mixed jumble of people that I, I can't even imagine, like, it's like somebody took a shaker and like mm-hmm. sh- just shook up like whole of humanity and like out pop- popped whoever <laughs> at random <laughs> and you're all going to be family. It's like, how did you pick that? But um, yeah, that's how it feels. I mean, sometimes it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how uh, I came from this. <laughs> yeah. Yet here I am. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, now that's the family side as far as the the people who you know like are I guess more like writing colleagues like people I went to school with or people that you know I've built community with online um, I feel like bless you I feel like there's a deeper understanding of the the craft aspect of it um and some of the things that you know like you've pointed out about you know like the the sort of the the hissing and the snake sort of imagery going on throughout or the ocean imagery or what does the captain represent these kind of larger questions um i get that mostly from the writing community side of things as opposed to my family yeah well the, the night the, before the night before our first scheduled uh, podcast or the the night that you were scheduled to be on, you had something, and I think it was another YouTube appearance that you did with a group of writers, because I, I watched a little bit of that. Okay. Uh, am I correct? I mean. um, I think I had, like, that was part of the issue for me. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's where I got, like, my calendar. You're not upset about no. the reschedule. No, no, what I'm getting at is that. It, no, what I'm no, getting I'm at is. Yeah, no, I'm trying to remember though, because there were, it was like there were two or three different things that, that I had going on within the span of a couple days. Mm. And I don't know which one that was. It might have been the reading that I did with, um, was it the reading that I did with Matthew? And then we had our cover artist, Jackie. I think so. Yeah. And you were very, you were in your element there. You you probably didn't feel like you had to explain some of the things you've had to explain to us tonight because you were amongst other writers, you know what I'm saying? And well, yeah, but that was also more of like a reading. So it was less about, um, I mean, it's more just like the the, the work does itself because you're just kind of like reading the poems out of the book. Um, so it's like a totally different format. I mean, from my perspective, I, I, I look at them very differently. So, I mean, I, I enjoy kind of help helping others, uh, sort of dig into things that are maybe a little more, especially if they're things I created. And so I can tell you, okay, yeah, that's what it was or no, that wasn't what it was. Um, as the person who created it, I mean, I, I, I like to make poetry more accessible because a lot of, People don't read poetry besides the people who write it anymore. And I think that's really unfortunate because I think poetry just generally has a lot to offer people, uh, especially on like a more sort of emotional, visceral level. I think the the language of poetry, generally speaking, um, and this is no knock to prose, right? I mean, I write prose myself, but um, it's just a different, uh, I, I just feel like it, it accesses the emotion like just much more swiftly and more directly than prose does. I think you just got to do a lot more work in prose to kind of get the same sort of uh, response that you do from yeah. a poem. It's just that it's the nature of the language and the, the, the way that you've condensed um, an experience in a small space. Also it depends on if it's good poetry. Well, I mean, but, you know, that's a whole other aspect, too. You know, some people would say that mine is not good poetry. um, And some people would say that it's great poetry. And there will be people in between as well. Um, You know, I it's funny because I I I look now, um, you know, when I think back on my um, undergrad and graduate 
writing experiences in, in school. And I think about how different my perspective is now on like, what, what is like good and bad poetry? Like, what does that mean? And for me, it really is just very subjective. I know my aesthetic. I know the aesthetic that I enjoy reading. It doesn't make it the best. It doesn't make it better than anybody else's poetry. It, it's just what I know I'm going to read and what I'm going to buy. And I really kind of don't care about the rest. Not to say that, I mean, it has value. It just, I'm not the reader for it. Yeah. So, you know, it, it poetry is interesting that way. Um, you mean, know, maybe in being able way. to, in being able to say what you'd say in prose in the more, you know, direct artistic way, it, it would usually have to be more well written pootry is kind of what I was saying. I mean, again, I, I think it seems, that there it are, seems like it would be harder to write the poems for me than it would be to write the prose for sure. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess sometimes I look at, you know, again, poetry that gets published that doesn't resonate with me. And I think that seemed like it was really easy to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's usually the type of work that doesn't resonate with me. That again, that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means right. that it's not, I'm not the reader for it. What? Um, but I was listening to an interview with uh, John Dinsmore today and he was and talking about, yeah, he was talking about, we didn't have a lead singer. We had a poet. Mm. He was talking to another, another band that he played with. And again, I didn't have a lead singer there either. I had a poet, mm. you know? Um, so do you, are, are you, one assignment we had in high school was to take, you know, it was a, it was a literature class. And one assignment was to take a song that we really enjoyed. And, you know, break, break down the lyrics as, you know, as poetry. So do you have, do you have an interest in um, writing song lyrics? I mean, do you have any interest in that at all? Or Do you? You know, it's the second time of late, actually, that somebody's asked me this question. And so actually my sister is the, the more musical one in our family. Um, She's got like just this amazingly soulful voice and she was writing songs at one point, playing guitar and doing that. Um, I, I do very much feel like listening to music and, and I, I mean, I pick up on things in song lyrics, um, that other people probably would not like, or if they did, it would just kind of be like a fleeting passing sort of thing. Whereas I'll sit there and think about symbolism or something. No, it's, it's actually, I pay more attention to the sound. So like, for example, the, the one thing that I kind of always think of when I'm having the, this, although this conversation is actually quite rare when I go into this, but, um, if you look at the song meet Virginia by train, there are a couple instances where they use the exact same word to form the rhyme mm-hmm. at the end of the lines. And in poetry, that sort of serves a different purpose than, um, than most people would, again, would even think about when it comes to like music. But it's one of those things that I, 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 it like always kind of hangs out in the back of my head of like, you know, I find it very interesting that they sort of, and I don't know that it was intentional because I'm not the writer, but um, there's sort of like schools of thought about different types of rhyme within poetry. So you've got the slant rhyme, the off rhyme. So that's where the words are close, but they don't fully rhyme. And it's, it's sort of like a thing that serves to somewhat meld, but still maintain a, a sort of dissonance. And you can use that to great effect in poetry, right? If yeah. if you are deliberate with it, then you've got full rhyme. And that it serves to sort of cement the bond um, more fully. And so, you, you again, you can see examples of that um, in various poems. When you use the exact same word, that's like a whole, it's... <laughs> It's like the double dog dare from like, yeah. um, you know, a, a Christmas yeah. story or whatever. It's like, whoa, right. whoa, what are you doing with that? Like, what does that mean? Yeah. It's, it, I mean, so it, it's, and I'm not claiming also, I'm not claiming to be like the, the ultimate analyst of poetry and poetic device either. But these are things that, that, that resonate with me and that, that's how poetry speaks to me as far as the sonic levels go. And so when I think about that song, Meet Virginia by Train, and I think about how they do that 
And usually it's not that way. Like if you think about most rhymes and songs, it's full rhyme, but it's not like, I don't know what you would even call it, complete rhyme. It, like it's, it's literally the exact same word. There probably is a fancy term for it that is escaping me at the moment. But I think about these things and I think about how um, I can apply them in my poetry, but I don't necessarily know that I would write songs separately. Like I very, I do very much have an interest in taking some of the work from Head of a Gorgon if like my sister or another musician were to be interested in that and try to take it and reshape some of it into something that could potentially become a song that makes sense. Yeah. Like taking, you know, four lines from a particular poem and making it a refrain, would it work? You know, how could, how could that happen? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, but have you ever, oh, go ahead. Have you ever looked at lyrics on paper or on digitally? Oh, yeah. Read yeah. the lyrics and you you read it and you scratch your head and you're like, that make that makes no that makes no sense. Or that, you know, okay, it makes sense logically, but I can't imagine how that would sound. And then you hear the song and it's like, that's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. So so it seems like music and poetry to me to me they're like one and the same. Yeah, you know, I mean, they really I, are. Yeah, I think the way a lot it sounds of- in your head when you read it, it doesn't have to rhyme. It's got to be fluid, or it's got to have the right voice inflection in your mind as you read it to be right. It feels like it has to have sure. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and definitely having worked with um, my mentor and thesis thesis advisor, Larissa Sporluck, um, who is very, very. I mean, she's a heavy, heavy lyrical poet, and she's very, very focused on sound. And I, I was grateful and, and very fortunate to be able to work with her because I'm more, I'm definitely more of a narrative poet. Um, but the, the, what I learned from her and what I gained from her in sound um, has just been tremendous for my work. And I'm a huge kind of like, I, I very much trust and believe in the sound now leading me in certain areas and in certain directions to kind of get me to the next line or the next step in a particular piece. I rely on that now more than I did before ever working with her. Um, and for me now, it's not so much like the, the end rhymes per se, like you would normally see in like a song, song lyrics, but it's more about the assonance. So it's more about the song, the, the sounds of the vowels of the words and how those play and kind of can come back and echo each other. Um, I'm like a huge fan of that now. Like that's, that's very, very much a part of my work and something that, again, I, I, I don't even know that um, I would have sort of gone in that direction had I not worked with Larissa, but because I have, and because I've sort of made that part of my work, I definitely feel like what, you know, what you're saying, Phil, about, you know, it's like, yeah, there, there is that sort of sonic quality that makes it song like, even if you're just speaking, because right. you've got the repetition of sound. So, I mean, for some people, it's alliteration, you know, the, the repetition of the, the um, consonants. For me, it, it, I, I definitely lean more towards the, the, the vowel sounds, the assonance, but, um, but I mean, it, none of it's right or wrong. It's just what right. sounds it's right. The same idea as right. beat poetry or like when you see someone who does, they, they perform Shakespeare properly or differently, maybe than someone else. Just to, is, well, yes, Shakespeare yeah. with that iambic pentameter, pentameter. Something like um, that. And then really when you come right down to it, Dr. Seuss. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, he's a poet. Yeah. Oh, he know it. <laughs> <laughs> he's a poet, and he know it. I won't. I won't impugn no, Dr. No. Seuss. <laughs> no, but like Green Eggs and Ham um, was an exercise in which he was challenged to write an entire book with fifty words or less. I believe. Mm. I had an exam like yeah. that in college. Yeah, I wrote it all in the that I was allowed to bring. I once wrote a homework assignment so in minor in a circle. I just showed up I and rewrote on it on the paper. outside and started writing. <laughs> you could always tell when my physics professor came to my uh, particular. I, I I I took the physics because a friend of mine did, and I did okay in it. I wasn't 
science, mathy type person. But you could always tell when he got to my picture because he just start or my paper because he just start laughing. And that particular time, he literally is reading it like this. Wow. <laughs> that he liked him. No wonder you love Al. It's pretty weird. Yeah. <laughs> For what it's worth, um, rhyming a word with itself is called identical rhyme. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. All right. What's well, been about an hour? Yeah, Philip. I want to say that Philip and I did actually discuss the lyrical quality of your poems. Yeah. <clears throat> so we did notice it when I was I was reading out some of the poems out loud to him, and uh, we definitely noticed a a like a melodic. It actually. Tendency. It was after the show. We stayed in Dayton. We sat down and had coffee and breakfast, and Lisa was reading some of it to me after the, mm-hmm. after the Weird Al show. Yeah. yeah, in our hotel. Getting ready. That's for like it. extra weird. I can't even imagine like going to Weird Al and then reading my book. It's kind of like whoa. Well, yeah. we, right, we were in the right yeah, frame well, of mind, we're right? In the so. Juxtaposition. <laughs> yeah, major it, juxtaposition. That when when we started doing that, that's when my understanding of what was ha- happening in the in the poetry mm-hmm. was started to take shape. You know, that's that was helpful yeah. for me. So uh, hearing it, hearing it out loud. Yeah, hearing Lisa read it out loud and hearing it, you know, the way that she yeah. put the hearing pauses on the syllables. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it is important. I mean, poetry is even even on the page, it is meant to be read aloud. I mean, yeah, you're not it's poetry. auditory for sure. Yeah, yeah. There there is a ideally a better understanding that one will gain by hearing the sound. I feel fortunate because I'm actually the type of person that I that I hear the words as I'm reading, even silently. I don't. I don't know if that's like par for the course for most people, but I. I, yeah, do. I do. too. I will still read them aloud. Like like I've read every poem in the book aloud at some point during the drafting process. You know, before it was finalized and everything. But even without doing that, I'm I'm hearing the sounds in my head. Um, even as I'm as I'm reading, the, I mean that's the same. No matter what words I I'm reading on a page, no matter what you read, mind. right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if it, even if it's prose, whatever I'm reading, it's like I'm hearing it. As is it in, is it your own voice that you hear? Yeah. No, I mean it's not, I'm not hearing like other voices. No, I mean, I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not. You're not making characters. You're not making. You're not making different voices in your head for different characters. No. I I I've been known to. Hear characters' voices as opposed to just my own, but I do listen to a lot of audible books, and I found personally that when I remember the audible book, I see the memory as the page. But I think that's because I grew up reading regular books. Yeah, you you never read the book with your eyes, but you see the page, huh? You never read the book with your eyes. You read it audio, but you still see the page. I see it as a page. I see it as a book. Wow. In my memory, it it doesn't, my memory doesn't differentiate between the two. And oftentimes I will see the words, the physical yeah. words as written as opposed to heard. Hmm. Yeah. There's, there's a Seinfeld episode where um, George had to read some technical book. And he can't stand reading because it's in his own voice. And um, he had to go to a lot of trouble to get, to get a, you know, an audio textbook. He got it through the blind and he, he, he gets the audio and it turns out that the person that read it had his exact voice. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because I don't, I don't mind the sound of my voice except mm-hmm. when I hear it recorded because that doesn't sound like right, right. to me because it, it, registers differently just like anybody else's recorded voice registers differently to them so i don't mind hearing the silent reagan voice reading or saying the words aloud as i'm as my eyes are reading along the page Mm -hmm. but man yeah i mean i do still struggle with hearing the recorded voice somebody i i I personally think you sound lovely um somebody listened to the podcast told me i sound like joe bob briggs well after i had to joe bob briggs well, he's like he's like a, he's like a uh, uh, Garrison Keller, you know, kind of a um, type of uh, storyteller. An, an NPR guy. Yeah, I think he's been on NPR. Hmm. But yeah. Joe Bob Briggs. But he's, he's got oh, a very southern draw kind of. He's a film critic. I know who he is. Okay. Yeah. I'll have yeah. to hear his voice and see what I think. Anyway. I um, 
I have a tendency to do voices in my own head. So, but, you know, I kind of live in my head a lot. Well, <laughs> me too, in my own way. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think, I, I think that's pretty common for writers, for better or worse. You know? Yeah, and I, I have written a book, which will not be published and, you know, hasn't been published, but both my parents are dead, so I don't have to worry about that. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, are you? Oh, it's it's been a while. That's a little little bit of humor. Okay. You know, I don't have to worry about my mom turning to my uh, sibling saying, is that me? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. What's that <laughs> mean? You're talking about your children's well, book. Unfortunately, uh, my next book is my novel. Okay. 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 Your next book. I haven't finished the novel yet. I'm still working on it, but okay. I got busy doing, you know, not writing. Is it more of a memoir? I, I've so, more of no, a memoir. You, you read the first chapter. It's been a while. I it's guess. a science fiction. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be Phil's, best. Phil's, Phil's you are going to be guy. one of my readers, Aaron. <laughs> All right. Okay. Been, if I if I ever write, it took me ten years to write chapter one. I'm still working on chapter two now, but it's going faster. Megan, what's your next up. book? <laughs> oh, um, so I, I've got a memoir in progress. And so that, in fact, will be when my mom says, is that me? And the answer yeah. will be, will yeah, be yes. I already know it's you. So you don't have to ask because <laughs> this is memoir. Yeah. Um, that's presuming that, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I, I hope that. So this book took me over a decade. I wow. hope that this, this, the, this next book will not take me over a decade. Yes. <laughs> but and if it does... There As is a memoir, a it would be it would be prose and not poetry, too. Right, and there, you know, I'm I'm 18 chapters into the draft, and I think it's going to be like 26 to 28 chapters. I've I've mapped it out. I've outlined basically however many chapters because it, it each chapter corresponds to a month from a particular time in my life. Okay. Um, but you know, my mom is older, so there's a possibility I hope it doesn't happen but there's a possibility that if I don't finish this in like a reasonable time frame that she won't actually be around um so I mean on the one hand it's like you know like like what Lisa was saying it's like oh I don't have to worry about it because my mom's not around to read it it's like okay but yeah but that's also on the other hand and it's a science fiction novel I started it after she died so I didn't even get the story idea until after she passed away. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Uh, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you would have expected? No, I mean, I think, I don't know. I just kind of let people ask what they want and take it okay. where they want to go. And hopefully, I mean, I think I answered things. I hopefully oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You did totally. throw us for a little bit of a loop when it <laughs> as personal as I thought it was. Oh, sure. So we kind of had to, but we had questions for that other lane as well. Yeah. So, you know, less personal questions as well as personal questions. Right. So, Aaron? Yeah, yeah just um, do you have anything that you want, anything else you want to plug? You have a memoir that's in progress. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that is that's gonna still take a while. So yeah. um I don't I don't want anybody to get too excited about that. Okay. <laughs> it's gonna be a while. A website um, or anything? I'm sorry, what was that? Do you oh have my a website? website. Oh sure. Yeah. So my website is um on WordPress. So it's my first name, Reagan, that's R A E G E N, my middle initial M and my last initial P dot wordpress.com. So reaganmp.wordpress.com. And if people are interested in getting the book there, um, I, I do do sign copies. If you want to just use the contact me form on the website, um, I'm happy to do that and send them the mail. Um, the link, the direct link on my website is to my publisher. Um, so if you're into supporting indie presses directly, which hopefully everybody is, um, then they can get the book that way as well. Love this book right here. here. Floating. The screaming Medusa had floating. Well, if it moves over a little, we also have it right there. Oh, yeah, we got to hear it. I'd look at it, but I'm afraid I'd be petrified. Right, right. Don't look. Don't look. All right, Reagan. I'll look at Joe Bob Briggs on the other screen. I need a cowboy hat for that. Apparently, you do, yeah. He hosts some. He hosts. Like 
old time movies and stuff. I think he's like, uh, you know, intros them in and out of commercials and tells yeah. jokes and, right. and has has cheesy movies play. Yeah, sounds as, about right. Uh, as cheesy as Bob Shreve, or yeah, I think he's less local to Cincinnati than Bob Shreve. But yeah, right, right. So more of a uh, actually says uh, he's uh, says he's name? from he's from Cincinnati. So yeah. oh wow. Oh. Maybe that's why he sounds, he thinks Philip sounds like hmm, him. Interesting. We are in Cincinnati. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Reagan, it's been a pleasure. Yep. It's been a really Thank nice you meeting for joining you. Us. Nice, nice to meet you. Thanks, Reagan. Thank you for, for accommodating me. All right, Reagan. You have a good night. <laughs> you too. Thanks again. See you guys. Bye. We have social. Twitter. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Instagram. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Facebook. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Website. www.yeah-uh-huh.com. So let us know. Hit us back. Have a great week.